Amen. As you take your seats, I'm going to have you turn to two places this morning. John 11 and Hebrews 12. John 11 and Hebrews 12. If you don't have a Bible, it should be run right there in the seat bag in front of you. If you don't see one there, the words will be on the screen in just a moment. Now, I, I was about 10, 11 years old, and it was Christmas morning, and uh, my parents wanted me and my siblings to open up this present together. We open up this present, and it's an ultrasound picture. I'm 10, 11 years old, and so uh, we're sitting there really awkward and confused. My parents weren't saying anything. And our, our initial conclusion was the dog must be pregnant. And this is an ultrasound picture of the dog. Um, that was not the case. My mother was expecting, and my little sister came along and stole all my thunder because I was the youngest for so long. And she came and stole my thunder. And some of you got to meet her last week. Uh, her husband uh, preached for us last week. Nathan Coates did a good job. And so they have two kids, and it's just crazy to think about. I still remember that morning as though it were yesterday, as they say. Um, but Hebrews chapter 12 and John chapter 11. Now, I want you to imagine that you are standing at the starting line of the emo- most important race of your life. And before you, are massive, long, steep hills, challenging valleys, sharp, dangerous turns. There's going to be opposition. Heavy winds are going to push against you. There's going to be periodic rain and pain and darkness. And it's not just a short run. It's not just a short sprint. It's a very long journey. Miles upon miles. It's a race that will require speed and agility, but also endurance. It's going to require mobility and ability, stamina and perseverance. And so there you are, ready to embark on this journey. You're excited. You got excitement coursing through your veins. Your heart's pounding. You got blood pumping in your ears. And you go to move, but you can't. You go to move, but you can't. Because lo and behold, you're reminded as you go to move that you have weights wrapped around your ankle, wrapped around your legs, weights wrapped around your arms, weights on your shoulder, weights on your back, weights on your head. And not only the weight, but you also have ropes tied around your legs. Ropes tied around your body, fastening your arms to the side. You have around your face strips of cloth that you can't even see. You can't even hear. You hear noises and voices, but it's all just muffled. You can't even speak. The cloth is wrapped so tightly. And there through the muffled noises you hear people shouting, run, 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 go, run, run. But you can't. You want to. You know you ought to. You know you need to. You know you must. But you can't. It seems that every week 
we gather like this, and we hear consciously or subconsciously, directly or indirectly, that there is this Christian journey before us. There's this Christian race set before us, and it's the most important race of our lives. And while, yes, we know there's going to be hills and valleys and challenges and oppositions, we're ready. We're we're ready to embark. We're ready to run. we got excitement coursing through us. And the scriptures are shouting, run the race, run the race. The preacher is hollering, run the race. The Christian friends are all yelling, run, run, run. And we want to. We know we must. But for so many of us, we go to move and we can't. We just can't. And here it's all good in this room. As we gather, we say, yeah, this is it, this is it. Then we get back to the house. We get back to the routine. We get back to that situation. And we can't. Because if we're being honest, if we had to be honest, many of us are weighed down right now. With all sorts of weights wrapped around our ankles and our legs and our arms and our shoulders and our backs and so on. We are weighed down with anxiety. We are weighed down with panic. Not just fear, panic. We are weighed down with doubt. I don't think this is going to work out. I don't think God's going to come through. I don't think those results are going to be what I want to hear. We are full of doubt. We are weighed down with regret. With shame. And already I say those words and and something is coming to mind. We're weighed down with sorrow. And we're not talking surface level stuff here. We are weighed down and wounded deeply, cut to the core of our very being. I mean, some of us have seen something. In person, online, we've heard something. We've experienced something that cut deep, wounded us mentally, spiritually, relationally, physically, maybe even traumatized us. Something's been done to us. Something, someone said something. They did something that, that pierced the core of our very selves. And now we just can't get that image out of our mind. We can't get those words out of our mind, that exchange, that event, that moment out of our minds. We just can't move. We can't heal. This past week, Hannah, our three-year-old, she spends a couple hours in Mother's Day out um, here in Enid, and I went to pick her up. It was after lunch, and she could not stop telling me about this event that happened at lunchtime with her and these other three-year-olds. She's sitting there at lunchtime, according to her perspective and her words, she's sitting there, and it's in a safe place. This is the lunchroom, three-year-olds safe place, and she's sitting next to what she believes to be loyal, trustworthy, trustworthy little three-year-olds, eating her PB&J, minding her own business. And this girl next to her 
reaches out with her two little claw-like fingernails, grabs her forearm, and digs deep and pinches her. Pinches and pinches until she breaks the skin of Hannah's forearm. And so I pick her up, and she has a mark. She has a cut there. we got to get a Band-Aid on and all that kind of stuff. And she told the teachers the whole thing. But anyway, so we get her all taken care of. But based off the conversation, based off the fact that it kept reverting back to this event, it was obvious for Hannah that the wound went deeper than the surface of the skin. In other words, the skin may heal quickly, and honestly, by that evening, it was healed quickly, but the underneath wound may last for some time. And for some of us, the skin healed years ago, months ago, weeks ago, but the wound remains. So we are weighed down, wounded deeply, and we just can't get that thing, that image, those words, that exchange, that event, that moment out of our minds. We just can't move on. We can't run that race. We can't heal. As the famous Rocky Balboa once said, when talking to his son who is now an adult, this is one of the, I think the 19th version of Rocky He said, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place. And he said, I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. So there we are. We're we're ready. We're excited. We wanted to run We leave this place every week, man, I want to run this race set before me, but man, we just seem to not be able to. We can't. We're weighed down with so many weights. But then additionally, we've done something. We've said something. We continue to do something that keeps us trapped in a vicious cycle of addictions or of bad habits or of gossip and slander or of some kind of sin. And that sin, it clings so tightly to us like ropes wrapped around our arms and legs, like cloth wrapped around our eyes and ears and mouth. And we are tied up, bound. So here we stand, we're ready to embark, we belong to Jesus, we have this new life in us, we've got excitement coursing through us, we know what's required, and the scriptures are shouting run, and the preachers are shouting run, and Christian friends are yelling run, and we want to, we know we must, but we go to move and we just can't. We're too weighed down and we're too tied up. So the question is, is what do we do? How do we become unbound? This question I want to answer today is, how do we heal? How do we heal? Maybe it's mental, maybe it's physical, maybe it's relational or spiritual. How do we heal? Because it's pretty hard to run a race when you're weighed down and tied up. Briefly, as an overview, what we do is, first, is we admit and accept. We admit and accept the need that we have. You have it, I have it, we all have it. It's a admit and accept the need that we have. 
The first need is this, the need for Jesus. Admit and accept the need that we have for Jesus. And then admit and accept the need that we have for the body of Jesus. Hence the series we're in, Community Better Together. Admit and accept the need that we have for the body of Jesus, i.e. the church, i.e. your brothers and sisters in Christ. So you're standing there ready and wanting to move on this Christian journey, but you can't because you're so weighed down, so tied up. What you must do where it starts is admit and accept the need you have for Jesus and the need you have for the body of Jesus. And you do this, as we'll see, by looking to Jesus and looking to others for help. If you're ever going to heal, you need help. Let me explain. Look, look first at Hebrews chapter 12. This is where we'll start. Hebrews chapter 12, just these first two verses. This is what the author writes. He says, therefore, he's just gotten through this long list of those who have the faith have gone before us, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Since we have all these witnesses around us, like a family, since we're surrounded by them, let us lay aside every weight. Not some of them, not one of them. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so tightly, so closely, like rope wrapped around you. Lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely, and then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking... To Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, he reminds us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God's. So number one, again, we need to admit and accept your need or our need for Jesus by looking to Jesus. You want to run the race? You want to be healed? Admit and accept your need for Jesus by looking to Jesus. Look to him. In John chapter 5, we read that Jesus is in a place where a lot of hurting people gathered. They were hurting with all sorts of ailments and brokenness. And they're all there waiting to go down in this pool, this water, and they're just wishing. It's kind of a superstition kind of thing, and they're just wishing for healing. And among the group of the people is a man who had been physically broken for 38 years. 38 years. Broken. And that's where some of us are. We've been broken for so long We've just concluded, well, maybe this is just my lot in life. Because every time I go to get healed mentally or physically, this happens or that happens. So it's been so long, this is all I know. 
So there Jesus is, and when Jesus, according to John, when Jesus saw him lying there, and he learned that this guy had been in this condition for that long, 38 years, Jesus asked him a very simple question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Do you even want to be made well? Let that question sink deep into your very soul for a moment. Do you want to be healed? Mentally. Do you want your marriage healed? Do you want to be healed from that addiction? Physically healed? Spiritually healed? I don't know what you're weighed down with or for how long you've been weighed down with it. I don't know what sins cling so closely to you, but it starts with this question. Jesus is personally speaking to you, calling to you by name and asking you, do you want to be healed? And it's a yes or no answer. The man answers, well, yes, but A, B, or C. No, 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 it's yes or no. And if it's a yes, and I pray it is yes, then you must admit and accept your need for Jesus by looking to Jesus. Quit looking elsewhere. Quit looking to that hobby or achievement to heal you. Quit looking to that entertainment, the endless scroll, the constant consumption of Netflix, to try to heal you. Quit looking to that substance. Quit looking to fill in the blank for your numbing mechanism to your hurting. Those things may work like ibuprofen, but they don't work like a surgeon. You need a surgeon. So look to Jesus, who, as the author says, is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Listen, it's Jesus who came to proclaim good news to the poor, those in poverty, spiritually, mentally, sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, those who are bound, those who are tied up, sent to bring recovery of sight for the blind, to take the the bandages off the eyes, to set the oppressed free. So we must quit being hard-hearted, hard-minded, or stubborn and admit and accept our need for Jesus by looking to him. So that, as Jesus said, so that we might see with our eyes, hear with our ears, understand with our hearts, and turn, and he would heal us. Look to Jesus to set you free and to heal you. The one who endured the cross, the author reminds us of. And that's a remarkable statement. We're we're talking about God incarnate, the fullness of God in human form. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He knows experientially and personally what you're going through or what you have gone through. Mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, he knows it. Go stand outside today. Consider the, the cosmos, 
the creator and sustainer of the cosmos knows on an intimate, personal level what you've gone through and what you're going through. He knows what it's like to have your family not believe in you. What it's like to have those you trust, those you thought were so loyal to you, those closest to you, reject you or abandon you or disown you. He knows what it's like to feel and experience hunger and thirst, to not have a place to call his home, to be tempted in every respect that you and I are tempted. He knows what it's like to feel so overwhelmed with grief and sorrow that he feels like dying. He knows what it's like to be abused, to be tortured, to be wrongfully accused, to be the victim of injustice, to be mocked, humiliated, shamed, privately and publicly. He knows what it means to suffer, what it's like for people to dismiss him as a joke, to gossip and slander about him, to spit on him. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to feel like God has abandoned or forsaken you. He knows what it's like to die. There's nothing you've gone through or are going through that he does not know experientially and personally. Nothing. And he is God himself. And he has come to you and he's asked you, look, do you want to be healed? Do you want the weight taken off of you? Do you want to be set free from the sin that clings so closely? Then it starts with admitting and accepting your need for him. And you do that by looking to him for deliverance, for freedom, for healing. But secondly, if we truly want to be healed and to run the race and to run well, then we must admit and accept our need for the body of Jesus by looking to others for help. Specifically, brothers and sisters, your lost friends ain't going to help you. Looking to the church for help. Look to others for help because you cannot do this on your own. You're too weighed down and you're too tied up. Running that race requires a cloud of witnesses around you to be surrounded by them, to be overwhelmed by them. You need help. So now if you look to John 11, we learn that there's this death of a man. We've looked at this passage before. His name was Lazarus, very famous. He was the brother of Mary and Martha. And Jesus arrives at the funeral four days after his death. Now the Jews in this day and age, of Jesus' day, believed, many of them at least, that the spirit of the body would kind of hover and hang out for three days. And then after that would then be gone to wherever it is the spirit was going. Meaning on day four, it was hopeless. This person was not coming back. It was, it was a done deal. And so he arrives at the funeral after four days, 
it's a hopeless situation. There's weeping, there's sorrow, there's anger, there's frustration, there's sadness. Even Jesus himself weeps. But then the scene shifts to the cemetery, to the tomb. And Jesus asks them to roll away the stone. Make no mistake, this is a weird request. This is you going to the cemetery right there at the grave and saying, hey, let's dig up the casket and open it up. That's what he was requesting. Let's roll the stone away. And they're pleading with him, listen, you don't understand. The, the body's been decomposing for four days. They wouldn't believe in embalming the Jews' stone, and so the, the body would have to be buried that day, and they would wrap them up very, very tightly, kind of like a mummy almost. And so they would do that to try to preserve the body as much as possible. But by day four, the soul was gone. It's a hopeless situation. The body is dead, decaying, the smell, so on. They're pleading with him, let's not do this. But he says, no, 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 take the stone away. And they do just that, and then Jesus looks up and he gives thanks. He praises God. And then we read this in verse 43 of John 11. When Jesus had said these things, he cried out. He literally screamed with a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out. You can imagine just standing there, especially his sisters. Here comes your brother who is dead, been dead for four days, is coming out of the grave. But John then tells us, oh, by the way, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips. So picture the image. He's either really struggling to come out or he's like hopping. It's a weird scene. And he's bound. And as we keep reading, he's not just bound with his hands and his arms like this. His face is bound. So put yourself in Lazarus' shoes. He has new life in him. He's been raised from the dead. Imagine him coming out of the grave. And he has all sorts of excitement coursing through him. He wants to move. He wants to run. He wants to shout and go about. But he can't. Because he's bound. He can't even see. The voices are probably muffled. He can't even speak. He can't hardly move. Again, it's the image of so many of us. We have new life in us. We're followers of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us. But man, we are bound. Coming out of the grave. So what does Jesus do? So again, his face was wrapped with a cloth. There's this mummy walking out of the grave. And Jesus said to them. He could have done this himself. He could have like almost like in a magical kind of way snapped his fingers over the, the cloths would have fallen. He said to them, those gathered there, his friends, his family, his sisters, He said to them what? Unbind him so that he might go. I mean, just picture it from their perspective. Walking up to him. Perhaps there's still a bit of an odor on him. And the process of peeling back 
that which was binding him. His face, his arms, his legs. Picture yourself again from Lazarus' perspective, beginning to open your eyes again to see, to begin to hear clearly, beginning to move, have mobility, to be able to run and shout and to move about. We must admit and accept our need for Jesus by looking to Jesus. He's the one who can deliver us, give us freedom, can heal us, give us new life. But secondly, we have to admit and accept our need for the body of Jesus by looking to others for help. Those who will come alongside us and help unbind us. You need others. Again, you need your brothers and sisters in Christ to help you. That's a process that requires intimacy and getting personal with each other and truly bearing one another's burdens. It's not checking into a service and then going back to life. You're like an infant in Christ, the scripture says. Infants require 100% help, completely dependent upon others for growth, for life, for sustainability. You are 100% dependent. You need others to help unwind that baggage, that junk, the weight, to help cut through the rope. You need others. That's the way God has intentionally designed it. You have new life in you. Only God could do that. But he's also put the church around you, this cloud of witnesses around you, to help you. You need their help because you're a work in progress. You always will be until the end. So God has put them there to help unbind you. So you have to admit and accept your need for the church by looking to them for help. And to do that, or to add to that, we ourselves, as the church, must look around at the Lazaruses who have just come out of the tomb and who are still bound. We have brothers and sisters who are bound emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually, mentally. They're weighed down and tied up. We must go to them and help unbind them. Jesus has called us to do it so that they might see clearly, so that they might hear clearly, so that they might run the race set before them. You say, yeah, but what does that look like? What does that really look like? Well, a couple weeks ago, again, we looked at the Good Samaritan, right? You remember this guy is beat up, left for dead on the side of the road? priest comes, he crosses the road, keeps going. The Levite comes, crosses the road, and keeps coming. What? The good Samaritan then comes. Right? And we saw that he met with the guy. He drew near to the guy. But we saw the good Samaritan do three things. Remember it like this. The, the good Samaritan took an interest in this guy. He saw him. He took an interest in him. He met him. But then what do we see? We see him help him with his wounds. He was intentional. Helping this guy with the wounds that he had. But then as we keep reading in the story, we see that he remained invested. With his own self, but his resources. And he would say, hey, 
Make sure you take care of this guy. I'm going to come back later. He remained invested. So he took an interest. He was intentional, and he remained invested. We need Jesus. We need each other for help. But we also need to take an interest in others. As Paul would say, consider others more significant than yourselves. We have to be intentional in helping one another where we're at. We all have wounds, and they all cut deep, and they all are different kinds. We have to be intentional on helping one another where we're at, and then we must remain invested if we're ever to heal and to run the race and to run it well. I'll finish with this story. I heard her testimony last week. This is Mandisa you see here on the screen. She, some of you have heard her music. You heard of her. Um, you've heard her speak. She was, uh, came to light during the American Idol days early on. And uh, she's a Christian singer and writer. And she's got a whole story there. Um, but she also became really, really famous when she wrote and sung this song called Overcomer. Right? I don't want to sing it for you right now, but you're an overcomer. If you know the song, you just kind of sing it to yourself in your head. So the song was released in 2013, 10 years ago. But what most people didn't know, and I didn't know this, is during the time right before her writing that and, and the things surrounding her life during that time is that a good friend of hers, one of her backup singers, who also happened to be her pastor's wife and a very close friend of hers, got very, very sick. And so they began, as many of us have done in times like this, began to pray for her and pray for her and pray for her. And as they're praying for her and going through this season, this is when the song Overcomer comes about. And Mandisa would tell you she was fully convinced that God was going to deliver her friend from this sickness. But that's not what happened. Her friend died. Just like in many of our situations where we thought it was going to turn out this way, but it didn't. Her friend died, and after her friend died, Mandisa says she went into a very dark place, shutting everyone out of her life, went into isolation, wouldn't even answer the door when people would come over, hit a one point where some of us in this room have been, hit a point where she literally thought about swallowing that bottle of pills and taking her life. So there she is in isolation and in darkness and in pain and suffering, wanting just to die and be away from all of it. This goes on for months. Until finally she goes to the movie theater one night. The reason is, is because War Room, the movie many of you have seen, was coming out. And she did not want to go to see the movie. Her song, Overcomer, was going to be played in the movie. So that's why she went. She watched the movie, and she said at the end of it, she felt sick and angry. Because that movie is about answered prayers and praying and praying and fighting our battles on our knees, as we sang earlier. And she said, God did not come through for us. She was angry again. All those emotions came back up and so on. And so she couldn't even leave the movie theater. She literally goes to another movie just to kind of numb herself. She spent over four hours in the movie theater that night. And then she finally leaves. 
And as she's walking to her car in the parking lot, she stops dead in her tracks because there covering her car were sticky notes. Words of encouragement on it. Bible verses on these sticky notes. And as she approaches the vehicle after a little bit, she then notices so many of her very, very close friends and family members came out of like the blue, out of nowhere, and like surrounded her like a cloud of witnesses. And in essence had an intervention. And that began the process of healing, becoming unbound. Fast forward years later, she's back to writing music, traveling, speaking, sharing her testimony. But as I was thinking of her testimony and preparing this message, I, I just got to thinking, I wonder how many of us right now in this room need some sticky notes on our cars? You're angry, you're upset, you're depressed, you're, you're weighed down, you're tied up. And how many of us know somebody who needs a car consumed with sticky notes? We need a brother, a sister to intervene, to take an interest, to be intentional, to remain invested, to help unbind us so that we might see again, or for the first time, or hear, or move, or run the race set before us. We can't do it by ourselves. We need Jesus, and we need the body of Jesus. So look to Jesus and look to each other for help. So I, before I call the team up, just want to throw this question back on, on here. Do you want to be healed? Jesus can heal you. He can begin that process, but you've got to answer yes or no. Do you want to be healed? If the answer is yes, then look to Jesus and look to the body of Jesus to help you. So as the, the team comes forward with eyes closed, heads bowed, as we get ready for this time of invitation, again, I don't know specifically what is weighing you down and what you're tied up with. But Jesus knows. And he's asking you, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Then it starts by looking to him, the founder, perfecter of our faith, to heal you. And he can give you new life. He can bring you out of that grave. But you've got to realize, man, we still have a lot we're a work in progress. And so we still need one another to come alongside to help. And maybe during this time, God's just placing somebody in our heart and mind, a brother, a sister in Christ, who we know needs some sticky notes on their car. And he's calling us to take an interest in them, 
to be intentional and to remain invested. Even as I pray, if you have a decision, you need to talk to us, you need us to pray with you. Weston and myself will be down here. Even as I pray, you can come. Father, we thank you. We love you. You are the great physician, the surgeon, the healer, the comforter. May we look to you. May we look to each other for help. And may we, when others look to us, may we take an interest in them and be intentional and remain invested just like the Good Samaritan. May we love them just as you've loved us. We thank you that you are a God who knows experientially and personally everything we've gone through, are going through, or will go through. And may we know that you have conquered it You sit at the right hand of the Father in glory and honor and perfection. You called us to run this race, but beyond the eternal glory with you forever, with no more suffering or wounds or weight or sin. We give you all the glory for that. Move in our hearts and minds and in our midst now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we sing, you guys stand. If you have a decision, you need to come talk to us. We're down here during this time.